Well, I want to welcome to the program Leonardo Di Filippis. He is the founder, along with his wife Patty, of St. Luke Productions and has spent really uh, most of his adult life doing this incredible work of, of mission and evangelizing through uh, the, the arts, through uh, a variety of ways that we're going to learn about today on the program. Leonardo, welcome. Thank you so much, Tom. It's great to be with you and all the listeners there in the, art, the Seattle Archdiocese. Yeah, so Leonardo, uh, you, you've been at this for over 40 years. You started when you were 10, is that right? Is that... Uh... Uh, 10, not really, no. I'm a, I didn't do that. I'm a son of a butcher, so I have a totally different uh, previous life. Yeah. So, uh, but no, I started acting in uh, high school, then in college a little bit, went to Europe for a while. And then I basically, after college, I went into the... Uh, professional theater, made a living there for about five or six years, and sh- mainly doing Shakespeare. So that's where I got a lot of my uh, training and my, uh, you know, experience. And then I launched into this, believe it or not, in 1980. So it's now what we're in our 43rd year. So still performing uh, the saints. And uh, previously to that, I got to perform God. So that was, you know, pay- playing Jesus from the Gospels. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. In fact, I think it wasn't it on St. Luke, uh, the, like the first. Yeah, well, our first show, you're right, Tom, our first show was on the Gospel of Luke. And at that time, there had been uh, uh, an English actor, Sir Alec McCallan, who had done the Gospel of Mark. And then there's another actor who did the Gospel of Mark. So, I mean, Matthew. So we were the first to, in the country to do the Gospel of Luke. And hence, we that we just took that as our, our name, St. Luke Productions, because of that. And he happens to be... Not only we know him as a physician, but he's also the patron saint of artists because of his um, uh, painting of the Madonna uh, image that we uh, hear about historically from sacred tradition. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, Leonardo, you're, you, you've been at this 43 years. Uh, I, I'm thinking of something that um, St. Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa, was uh, asked about, and it was having done the mission that was hers and the missionaries of charity for all of these decades and years, would you have done it? Had you known all that would unfold Uh, here you go, 43 years in, did you have any idea that your life would unfold the way it did and the way it has when you said yes to that first, like, Hey honey, let's put together uh, a presentation theatrically on the gospel of Luke. Well, you're right, because when I first did it, it was such a risk. I didn't know, first of all, could I uh, even memorize for a one-person show? Could I memorize, you know, six to seven chapters of the of, of the gospel? And uh, eventually I'll go on to uh, do the whole gospel of John. But at that time, it was such a risk. And I my first performance was for all these other actors at the Shakespeare Festival in Ashland, Oregon, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And they were kind of thinking I was a crazy man. And so, and then sometimes I thought maybe I am a crazy man, but I did it and uh, out of obedience to a, a Benedictine monk at Mount Angel Abbey and, uh, and, and the seminary there. And so I said, okay, I'll do this. I'll create this. And uh, I had no idea where this would lead. I really didn't. I just did one show uh, tour. It was 40 tours, 40 shows in the, in the Oregon area. And then uh, what happened was I, I eventually, uh, uh, I didn't know what to do, you know, because it was over with, right? And this monk calls me up and says, well, Lent is coming. Why don't you get something for, do, a, do get the passion ready. So get a Lenten program going. So I just was obedient, said, okay, I'll do that. And I have no money. I have to, you know, kind of 
beg for different artists to, to make the music and beg for money and all this kind of stuff. So, and costumes and everything. So that was kind of the beginning seeds. And I never, when I would meet somebody, they'd say, well, you'll, you'll get used to this after five or 10 years. And I was never, I was thinking just month to month. Little did I know, Tom, in this, that I, you know, at first I wanted to be a priest. I thought, well, maybe I'd be a priest, but in the end, I ended up playing all the saints and playing Christ and etc. I also played the devil and everything else. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, here I was, then I got married to an actress. And, you know, usually marriages don't last too long with an actor and an actress, as you know, just reading the tabloids. But the thing is, um, we have seven children in the midst of all of that. So I have been, you know, it's been really kind of a, a madness, if I were to say, and it's been very hard uh, to do it. And to keep, you know, you you in a nonprofit and doing artistic works, it kind of goes like that, you know, in terms of survival and also raising children, et cetera. So it really, it's been a grace of God. And it's interesting you mentioned Mother Teresa of Calcutta, because in my first initial beginnings, she was my kind of hero, you know, because a lot of young, when I had a reconversion back to the faith, she was kind of like my steadfast rock at that time. I could look to her and read about her. And I eventually wrote her and she wrote me back. And eventually I, I got to see her in San Francisco at the when she first went to San Francisco. And then we wrote for a, a number of times to each other. Um, and so I, I, you know, I treasure that that she that inspiration that she gave me and her commitment. Obviously, you, you we all know about her, um, how faith, uh, how uh, courageous she was. And how faithful to the end she ran the race to the very end. Yeah, you know, Leonardo, you mentioned a Benedictine monk at uh, uh, at Mount a uh, Mount Angel, and out of obedience to him, that's a that's a really powerful like moment to think about. I mean, it, in some ways, it's really convenient for a monk who's in a stable community to say, "Oh yeah, just obey and, and go off and do this." But there is something very powerful about that obedience that is involving a fundamental trust that the Lord is going to take care of me. Well, I think so. I think you're absolutely right. There's, there's a sense of uh, uh, walking on water, so to speak, not being afraid. I think what prepared me, you know, actors, particularly in the theatrical realm or even in the film realm, uh, you know, be it in Hollywood or the media, your job is just, you got a, a short job and then you got to look for another job and you look for another. It's not like, you know, you're working right now uh, a full-time job, or I am a, a, an employee of my nonprofit that we're St. Luke Productions. So that kind of itinerant type of lifestyle where I had no, you know, where am I going to live? Uh, what apartment, you know, what city? I didn't, I didn't worry about that because that, I, I had to embrace that lifestyle already. When you add to that, when I had my reconversion back to the faith and everything, and a, and a priest, you're kind of at a, a spot where you're a little more, I don't know, open, humble, uh, you're, you're willing to be obedient, you're a little supple. And so when the monk says to me, will you do something like this? And granted, you're right. He didn't have to go around and uh, run all over the country and and have to set up a takedown, do all these performances. He could keep, keep praying the office and every day as a, a Benedictine monk. But that allowed me that trust to say, yes, I'm just going to do this. And I put my heart into the actual 
work or the ministry and did not worry about practical things. Uh, you know, and that was never my. You, you know, had a wife worried. for that. You had a wife. Yeah, for I had that. a wife. That's true. <laughs> I had a wife for that because she, I didn't care about money. I didn't care about all that kind of stuff, but she had to say, Hey, you know, we've got to make a living, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know I remember so, that well. So I, you know, I've done church work, right. Ministry work right. since uh, 1989. And it, that was a, such a, a challenging thing to balance. We're going to trust in the Lord, but we're also going to work hard and be diligent and be practical uh, and, and say, if, if the Lord's going to provide for us, you know, we've got a bunch of kiddos and, and it's like, all right, Lord, you're going to provide for us, but you know, it's a very challenging path. It is. It, and that's true just in, in church life. I mean, in a sense, a church nonprofit is a business, meaning you want to keep your employees, your staff, you know, uh, and, and all of those. And in this world today with healthcare and all these other things you have to do and to retain them, you might have to give them raises and everything because everyone's got to make a living. But you're right. At the same time, you have to trust and you have to balance out the spiritual needs that that's so important. Uh, you know, you have to take risks. I think that's where the church, you have the stability or whatever it is, the Vatican or the pastoral center or the parish level or a religious order. They still have to pay the bills, so to speak, just to survive. But then again, you have to trust in order to uh, move the mission of evangelizing the gospel, or nobody ever hears it. So I always remember what Mother Teresa said. I remember Father Groeschel, when he started the Franciscan Priors of the Renewal, he was worried about all those practical things you're mentioning. And uh, I guess uh, Mother Teresa patted him on the shoulder and said, Father, God has lots of money. Don't worry. <laughs> so I thought, isn't that something? So, well, and that's the thing. I, I want to come. I want to come to that. That like looking back from the end of your life to say, "Wow, what was that all about?" Right. So again, I'm talking with Leonardo Di Filippis today. He's the founder of Saint Luke Productions. You see his website if you're watching the video version of this interview. SaintLukeProductions.com gives you access to all of these shows. Uh, as well as other things that they've done through the years, including a number of films and things that are able to be streamed on Formed, uh, Rosary, uh, uh, Daily Benedictus Moments, so many different uh, things that are available on stlukeproductions.com. We're going to talk more about that. The one-man shows are probably the things you're most famous for, Leonardo and St. Luke Productions, I think, and, and the films, right, Therese. One of the things that strikes me about the way that God has gifted you and used your gifts at the service of the church is related to the timing of certain one-man performances. So the year of the priest, and you have St. John Vianney, you have the year of mercy, and you have Faustina. So talk a little bit about the way that you have sensed your call regarding what performance to produce now like, how do we walk with the church and and help advance what the church is, is uh, bringing before the world? And we can join in that, too. That's, that's such a striking thing. Yeah, no, it's very true. I think you're right. There, a lot of our work is based off of uh, anniversaries and timings within the church that the church celebrates. So, you know, when we started St. Luke, of course, that was... That was just established a foundation, but it established it with the Gospels. And doing a one-person show, as you mentioned, it's it's complicated. Obviously, it's a little harder on an actor, but it also can become very intimate because you're relating to the audience. 
But what happened was, if I look back now, just going quickly through the different shows we've created, after I did the Gospel of Luke, the Franciscan uh, friars and nuns got a hold of me. And they said, we want you to create a show on St. Francis of Assisi. Now, that was in 1984. I ate 1982, excuse me. What was 1982? It was the eight. It was the 800th anniversary of the birth of St. Francis, which was a celebration throughout the entire world. So we were one of the ones who, one of the unique, well, the only one in the United States that created a show on St. Francis of Assisi. And that, it was an amazing thing because it highlighted that. We even have the U.S. postage stamp, believe it or not, of St. Francis on postage. Now, you would never see that today because of our woke society and anti-religious sentiment and anti-Catholicism in our government right now. But that was so unique. And so, you know, we performed this at for 3,000 people at the theater and raised two tons of food for the poor. And so it was a thing that we did throughout the country, not just for Franciscans, but we went to Protestant communities because there's a, they're more open to St. Francis. So it had a huge evangelical outreach. The next thing that happens is the Gospel of John. Why did we do the Gospel of John? Because John Paul II decided to, to with the East and the West, if you remember this, he, he, he wanted to bring the East, the, the lungs of the two church, the East and the West to come together to become united again under the, the Catholic realm, uh, which is Jesus established as the Catholic church. So I decided to do the Gospel of John, and I did it in an iconography uh, in a Byzantine style. Mm -hmm. So it's very, because John is very symbolic, obviously. It's not a synoptic or narrative uh, story as much as, uh, as, as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Luke. So, but John, anyway, we did that. And so that was a big anniversary that we did throughout the country and in Canada. And then, and then after that, they, they got a hold of me. The Carmelites got a hold of me and said, the Carmelite nuns in Seattle. Now, Seattle has a lot of history. We have a lot of history with Seattle. So the Seattle nuns, I'm talking to the prioress. She's got the grill there. And she says, Leonardo, I want you to do a show on John of the Cross. And I go, Mother, how am I going to do John of the Cross? He's not an easy saint. No one knows about him. They only know his name. That's it. They've never read him. So here I, it's when, why? Because it's the 400th anniversary of his death. So then I say, okay, I'll try that. And I didn't, at first I never want to do it, but God keeps bugging me. And he says, you're going to do it. And I go, I can't do it. I'm helpless. I don't know how to do it. How am I going to do John of the Cross and make him human and make him known? So eventually we did that. And it was the only show of its kind in the world. Wow. So I was sent I was sent to, uh, the friars brought me to England, to Ireland, uh, to the island of Malta, which was fascinating to think that's where St. Paul, the, you know, the apostle converted the entire island back in, in the day in the Acts of the Apostles. But so I did that. And then, you know, before you knew it, I was, then I had uh, Maximilian Kolbe. And then they say, we want you to do Maximilian Kolbe. And, um, and so that was for the 100th anniversary of his birth. So then all of a sudden I'm performing, you know, that kind of the anniversary of World War II and everything. And so now I'm performing for actual people who knew Maximilian. We're in Auschwitz. We're in the concentration camps. We're POWs in World War II or, or Korea or Vietnam or the gulags in Russia, all these communist countries. So I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. But it was, again, anniversary driven 
by the church through so that people would get to know in our church, in the arch, say the Archdiocese of Seattle, not the and beyond, who knew nothing about these saints. Because most of our schools don't know our Catholic schools, they don't know the saints, they don't experience them, they don't they don't enter into a friendship with them, just like they don't enter into friendship with Christ sometimes and the church. It's just an institution or it's they haven't, you know, their heart hasn't been moved yet. And so then I went on. To, then all of a sudden, the nuns got back to me and said, we want you to do the 100th anniversary of St. Therese of Lisieux. And I said, oh, my gosh, how are we going to do all this? <laughs> so then we created a show on that. So I was again, obedience, obedience. Uh, I did St. Therese. Of course, I did not play St. Therese. I got to play his father. But eventually we did the movie of St. Therese, which was the first uh color uh, feature film in history in the movie industry on saint therese and also uh you know the only one ever done by a catholic uh non-profit all by, all done by donations so it was movies aren't done by donations even the chosen isn't done by you know it's a it's a it's a crowdfunding situation right okay. so it was a, just a gift of the people of god to the people of god and to the world so uh, and then it went on. It, I just kept getting and then St. Faustina, the same thing, the 150th anniversary of their order. And then, uh, you know, so my life has been, uh, and Tolton too, Father Tolton, our last one, uh, that has also been kind of not anniversary driven, but more moved by, particularly uh, for me, by a parish priest and Cardinal George, the late Cardinal George, who, when he started the canonization process, said, this is the most important thing I have ever done in my priesthood. Wow. And so I thought, what? What? Yeah, the starting a canonization for a black priest is the most important thing. And so all of these things that I'm just telling you a little bit of our history, or maybe I've forgotten a couple of shows. Oh, Vianney, you're <laughs> right. Saint poor Saint John Vianney's forgotten again. He was, you know, the year of the priest. And I was gonna do it the year before because I got attracted to John Vianney. We were in a financial crisis at that time. And my staff said, and my wife, of course, said, she's the practical one, said, I don't think we should do this, you know, because we're going to be attacked by the devil again. And, uh, you know, and, and he'll try to stop us. But what happened was, all of a sudden, and last minute, Pope Benedict XVI decides to declare the year of the priest based off of John Vianney's 150th anniversary of his death. So, that was uh, an amazing thing. And in that one year, uh, believe it or not, uh, we performed for 150 shows without us even knowing it. 150 shows for the anniversary year. And the devil actually appeared. He's the most attacked saint in history by the devil. But, but the devil actually says to him, and it's recorded, that John Vianney, you have taken 80,000 souls from us. From me, from the from the Legion of Devil, and what happened when we calculated up pretty much all the numbers of those 150 shows? It was 80,000 people we reached. So, and uh, it, it, you just see God's hand in all of this, and particularly with vocations uh, that have happened. So, I've talked enough here. You can. Oh, no, yeah, it's beautiful. Again, I'm talking with Leonardo Di Filippis, and he is, again, the founder of St. Luke Productions and telling us some uh, behind the scenes, a uh, little uh, insights into what was it that led to these different one-man shows or one-woman shows uh, covering lives of saints. And, and I love the way that it maps out, right? So one of the things that I think about 
Leonardo is gifts are connected to mission, right? As God gifts, God calls. And and the Lord has right. gifted gifted you with these uh with these theatrical talents and this willingness along with Patty to be able to push forward and say, we want to bring the the greatest of what the Lord has given to the church and these lives of saints and make them accessible through the gifting God has given us. And we're all called to do that, right? Each in our own way. And it's a it's a rare thing. I don't think people realize how rare it is to be able to provide for a family through a nonprofit ministry to Catholics. Because you're not getting a check from the diocese. You're not getting a check from the parish. You are out in the vineyard of the Lord and you're laboring there and you're trusting that the Lord is going to provide as you honor him. And, and the Lord's obviously done that in your regard. And, and that's a beautiful thing, but it's, it's a very rare thing. So few, I, I meet so many, I've met so many young men through the years who are like, I'd love to do what you're doing. I'd love to make a life as a speaker, as a teacher, as a, as someone involved in ministry. And it's a great ideal when they're single, but as soon as they get married and they would love to have their wife stay home and they'd love to have a lot of children and they'd love to be able to maybe even own a home, all of a sudden you bump up against some serious limitations regarding the the, the level of income that's associated with life in ministry. And so I, what I've see what I see in you is a, a kind of a shining example of no, you know the the Lord will use your gifting, and He'll also provide for you through that gifting as you're serving Him. But it's not going to be easy. You know, you talked about spiritual attack. You talked about uh, being obedient and trusting, but also being practical and and discerning, like yes to this, no to this, and let's see the Lord provide signs of confirmation. You know, very it's a very powerful testimony that you're giving today, Leonardo, and I really appreciate that. Well, I think you know, Tom. I think it, you. I think you're absolutely right. And I think what it is is you. We have to take risks for the gospel, and uh, and once you step out, uh, God will uh, take care. You don't know. You're right. You know, even in the church ministry, uh, you know, like you say, if even if you're given a check from the church or anything, you still don't know. You have to make sacrifices. Obviously, how can I afford? It's like a Catholic school teacher. How can you make enough money to support a family? And uh, you know, teaching fourth grade or something of that nature. Well, it's, I want to say a, something. You said something so striking. You just said you have to take risks on behalf of the gospel. Right. Well, the answer is you don't. Most people, really, if you ask them, show me in your life where you have taken a risk on behalf of the gospel. Where have you risked something significant? on behalf of your Catholic faith, I don't think that many people are going to have a, a, a big testimony about where they have risked reputation, financial security, uh, direction of life, um, where they live. Um, you know, the, risking is not easy, but I. it seems to me, my feeling is that we are coming into a time where even courageous risks, significant risks, where there's a lot at stake, is going to become the norm if you are to follow God's call. That's that's a big statement. Now, you've lived your life 
taking risks on behalf of the gospel. How does that strike you? Well, I think you're absolutely you're right, because I'm in a unique situation. Uh, you know, it's kind of like who, you know, who's on my board of directors, so to speak. Uh, you know, who tells me what to do as a nonprofit? Well, in my case, I have the saints. I've got John Viani telling me what to do. I've got Maximilian Kolbe. I've got St. Therese of Lisieux. You know, when I'm having doubts or anything, what does Faustina say to me? You got to trust. You know, so I have that kind of level. Whereas if you're working for Amazon or Microsoft or something, you've got other people telling you what to do. And they're your examples. Uh, in my case, I and, and and that should be true. You know, obviously, if you're a priest in a parish, you know, that's your example. It's Jesus and it's the saints. So Jesus tells you what to do and how to live and what how to act. But I think I think our my thing is just an icon, if you were to say, uh, a window to heaven, a lifestyle that hopefully invites other people, you know, in daily life, be it if you're a farmer or if you're an executive, uh, whatever place you are, you're a cowboy or you're a housewife, you know, that you can take a bit, a tiny bit, a slice uh, and, and, and try to live that part in your life, to be a witness, uh, not to be afraid. Meaning, I think you're right. We're going into a difficult time right now. We can see it. I mean, we see the, uh, you know, the econo economy is kind of imploding. We see crime. We see the moral decay. Uh, now, none of this is new in history. All you have to do is read the Bible and see how bad it is. You know, you got every sin under the sun. It's X-rated, in fact. You know, uh, and yet God is merciful and he keeps coming back and is faithful to us, right? He's patient. So I think that's by me doing the saints, it allows people when they see them or experience them, be it you or anybody else, they go, okay, I've got to try to hang in there. I've got to try to be faithful to my wife so my marriage doesn't fall apart. I've got to be faithful to my kids so they don't, they have some parent in their life, grandparent in their life. So I think they're seeds. It's like St. Therese says, I want to be a saint, but I feel so helpless. Mm. And I think, you know, that, you know, the housewife who just cooking, taking care of a whole bunch of kids. I mean, you you know, is it harder to watch kids or just work at a computer? You tell me. So it's much easier to work at the computer and go to the office than to watch a bunch of little kids, right? right. Or to raise teenagers, right? That's a challenge. So uh, these are huge tasks. And I'm just there to encourage everyone and be the priest themselves. Many priests sometimes are ready to give up or a seminarian is he's ready to quit the seminary. And he all of a sudden sees John Vianney mm -hmm. and how steadfast he is or a father Tolton, Augustus Tolton. He says, I can't quit. I can't quit now. I have an example in front of me. And so I think, you know, everybody's got some hero. You probably have too. somebody. Uh, it could be a father, father-in-law, could be a friend, uh, you know, could be a, a, a type of person like Mother Teresa, uh, you know, that makes you kind of stay awake. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what, uh, but it is a risk. I mean, not everybody's called. And as St. Paul says, not everybody's going to run around the Mediterranean, uh, you know, in shipwrecks and everything like that, you know, doing all these crazy things. Like I look back, we did St. Therese, the movie. It was such a risk. We had no money, you know, and we got it into the movie theaters and it almost destroyed our ministry. 
It's almost like the devil said, you know, and then we had to go back to the little way again. So, uh, you know, we're not like uh, movie stars or, or like people have lots of fame is so fleeting. Mm -hmm. It doesn't last. Yeah. What's the most important thing is preparing. As you know, uh, it says Jesus' first lines in all of, of the world was repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, meaning to change. Change. And, uh, and I think, you know, amen. Yeah. Yeah. We can't accept this colored priest. But the Catholic Church deplores double slavery. That of the mind and that of the body. You ain't nothing but a troublemaker. I was a poor slave boy, but the priest of the church did not disdain me. We want no totems in this place. Slave, slave. I shall work at it and pull at it as long as God gives me life. Get out of Quincy, go elsewhere. Get May I never give up. St. Luke Productions tells the story of Father Tolton, who was born into slavery and became America's first black priest. This is a story of great perseverance and faith. Performances will be at St. Edward Catholic Church in Shelton, April 17th, Our Lady Star of the Sea in Bremerton, April 19th, St. Gabriel Parish in Port Orchard, April 20th, and Vietnamese Martyrs Parish in Tukwila, April 21st. For showtimes and details, go to toltendrama.com. That's uh, Leonardo DeFilippis joining me today on the program. Leonardo, um, I love what you're saying about discerning like, okay, what's the right now? What's the right now message? Okay, we're in a time of courageous risk. We're in a time where we're facing big challenges. And it seems to me that one of the, the risks and challenges that you've taken is discerning and taking action to produce Tolton from slave to priest. And it is, uh, it's an amazing uh, one-man presentation by uh, Jim Coleman about Father Augustus Tolton, uh, a priest in the 19th century, an amazing story um, about his life in the Chicago area. And he um, uh, and this this one man show has taken on a, a greater uh, prominence, a greater prominence in uh, in in these times. Um, in fact, folks, if you are in the Seattle area, if you go to stlukeproductions.com, you'll see on the calendar that there are some presentations coming up even next week. This is the 12th of April where we're recording this and next week in Shelton and other places right here in uh, the, in the, the archdiocese of Seattle and in the Western Washington area, there are some um, uh, upcoming shows. And then in months to come, there are some others as well. Um, so talk a little bit about father Tolton as, uh, as a priest who's on his way towards canonization we can hope and pray uh, an amazing priest with an amazing life what was it that drew you to to him what was it that made you sense this ought to be a one-man show that we now are called upon to produce well uh years ago when i was doing saint maximilian colby at a parish in uh springfield diocese which is you know south of chicago i uh where the capital is and where Father Tolton is from, back in those days, it was called the Alton Diocese, uh, which is Alton is on the Mississippi right next to um, uh, St. Louis in Missouri. So I I was at this parish and this priest said, I want you to do a show on Father Tolton. Again, here's, the, you know, Father, what am I going to do? How am I going to do a priest? How am I going to do a black priest? I can't do that. <laughs> you know, I'm not allowed to do that. But I, I put his picture up. I read his book. He gave me a book and... 
and holy cards and things of that nature. And I put it on my, my shelf and, um, you know, and, and you see the image behind me, that's the actual image of, of the real Father Tolton. And then again, I told you about Father uh, Cardinal George, who mentioned how important it was when he was actually giving a talk at the, at the place where he was baptized as a slave. He was a slave, you know, uh, pre-World War, uh, pre, not pre-World War, pre-Civil War, and uh, during the Civil War, etc. So I was at the time going to do Fulton Sheen, or I was going to do John Paul II. I was looking at some major saints, you know, uh, well, Fulton being, a, uh, you know, a, a future saint. And then all of a sudden, I was called by God to do Tolton. I again could feel the Holy Spirit. His eyes are looking at me. And I thought, okay, I don't know how to do this. So Cardinal George got me in touch with Bishop Perius, the Black Auxiliary uh, Bishop of Chicago. And uh, he is the postulator, or he's what postulator is the head of the canonization club through the, through the Vatican. And so he helped me. Basically, I did all the research and he gave me all the documents from the canonization process, historical documents of that time. And uh, we put together the show together. And he, uh, so it's an, an actual historical, accurate, uh, you know, all the language, everything that was said at that time. And uh, so that attracted me. And it's a, an incredible story, as uh, some maybe a lot of your listeners don't know, but he, he, you know, is the first black priest. But we have to remember that the church, in the human side of its sinfulness, did not, uh, because of institutional prejudice and slavery in the United States of America, uh, a black, or as they would call them there, Negroes or colored, would, was not allowed to be in the religious order or a priest. They weren't allowed. No bishop would allow them, no religious order. So it was complicated. But he had an Irish priest who, did, who was a missionary priest, as we know so many Irish came here, and he didn't have that mindset. He was a missionary to help all people, all races. So eventually what happens, he fights for Father Tolton. So if you look at it today, you have a white guy fighting for a black guy, okay, from the Emerald Island, and he eventually sends him to Rome, <coughs> There's no prejudice in Rome because we've been having, you know, we've been having every race under the sun for 2,000 years, being trained all over the world. So he sent back the Pope and the Cardinal, sent him back to the enlightened country of America. That's what it was called, you know. And so he sent back to America, the United States of America. And still he had to work through all the different prejudice there. And he eventually dies. But he never, he knew that the Catholic Church established by Jesus Christ was true, and it was meant for all people. And when he went to Rome, he saw the freedom. It's all about freedom. And uh, But, you know, they, people may have uh, looked at his color of his skin, but he knew the character of Christ was within each individual. Once he's a priest, he is demanded by Christ to love everyone. There is no segregation. There's no Black Lives Matter or White Lives Matter. It's all lives matter because that's the mission. Everyone's made in the image and likeness of God. So it's had an incredible, we've been to so many places doing this, uh, uh, Tom. I mean, in terms of a completely Black communities, schools, et cetera, and white. Um, we're going to be coming to your Vietnamese parish and right there, uh, the first mart of the Vietnamese martyrs, which is amazing. They wanted, they want Father Tolton. And I'm just like, wow, 
This is amazing. The Hispanics, wherever we go, Hispanic, they want it. Of all things, we went to the Tri-Cities. We're going to major cities, of course, right? And and the priest, he organized. We ended up going to Walla Walla and the Tri-Cities and, and uh, you know, Hermiston on the river. And I'm thinking, why do they want Tolton? They want him because so what's helping is it's helping the canonization, but it's the only show of its kind in the world. And uh, we're making a film on it too. I mean, a film version of the of the play. And so I've just been astounded by it, what it has done. And uh, your diocese, the Archdiocese of uh, Seattle, is the first in the country to, and uh, maybe the world, to say, we're gonna. We got it. We got a, a grant, the Saint Joseph Foundation grant, to do shows. That's why we're doing the shows in, in April and then in the fall, hopefully. But they are allowing us to go to uh, parishes and schools, Catholic schools, and there's no there's no requirements there as long we're trying to help those who never get anything. Like how many shows go to Shelton, Washington? I don't think too many, mm-hmm. right? But we're going there because. We can, and then if we go to a parish that's doing fairly well financially, if they pay, they can pay forward so we can go. So I really ask everyone who's listening, if we can get into your prisons uh, also and into the poor schools and, and to the rich and the poor, because Tolton, again, Father Tolton does not segregate. He doesn't separate. He unites. And well, because we're both. No, and uh, Leonardo, it's, his story is so amazing, uh, folks. If you learn about his story, you read his the biography of Father Tolton. Yeah, uh, you're just struck by his humility. Uh, I mean, he is like he lives on humility um, throughout his life, and coming back from Rome, ordained as a priest, still constantly being asked to be humble as he exercises his priesthood. It's so striking. And so, folks, go and see Tolton from Slave to Priest. If you have any possibility of doing that, learn about Father Tolton's story. And you'll see he is a he's a prophetic. He lived a prophetic life as a as a Catholic priest, uh, as a black Catholic priest in America. And it, it seems to me that, you know, for such a time as this, it's another one of those incredibly timely messages. So. Absolutely. And I think for Seattle Archdiocese in particular, all the troubles you're having uh, in in the metro areas with crime and immorality and, uh, you know, political injustice and corruption and all these things we're seeing everywhere um, in this what we call now, we call it the woke society or whatever you want to call it. But uh, those things were happening during uh, Father Tolton's time, too. There's a lot of injustice and division and deception. And so Father Tolton is a, a great model for each for our for our archdiocese here in Seattle. I'm talking today with Father Leonardo Di Filippis. Again, please, I encourage you to go to his website, which is stlukeproductions.com. stlukeproductions.com is right here. And you'll see so many different things that are here. You can host a show. You can go to the store. You can find out so many different resources they have on formed audio dramas and other uh, varieties of things that you can do. You can sign up for their newsletter, stlukeproductions.com. Again, I'm talking with Leonardo Filippis, and he is, again, the founder of St. Luke Productions. And Leonardo, I've got a question about 
um, which of the characters, which of the saints that you have uh, performed, did you enjoy the most? Which was the most difficult? Which uh, I'm, I'm really interested in, like to be able to enter into their lives, find a way to portray their lives in a one-man show. That's quite a thing. Which was the di most difficult? Which was the most enjoyable? Well, <laughs> they're kind of like children, my children, in that I, I, I can't say I love one more than another. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, because when I do them or have done them, they give me a new insight. They, they kind of talk to me. Uh, or if I watch the shows that I created on St. Therese or St. Faustina, they speak to me deeply or Saint, or Father Tolton, which I'm just a, uh, another, I'm a bunch of characters in a multimedia production. But I would say one of the most difficult shows I've ever done was the Gospel of John, memorizing the entire, entire Gospel of John. And another one I forgot to mention is I did a show on the Confessions of St. Augustine. And that is a very complex, it's more complex than Shakespeare. And uh, in terms of language itself, it's very elevated language. But he's an amazing saint. It's very difficult to me memorize and to perform. Uh, so those would be some of my most difficult. John of the Cross, too, was a very tough one. Um, they each have Maximilian and John Vianney and St. Francis are probably the most physically demanding. Uh, they create a lot of movement. Uh, you know, you come, you're drenching with sweat after you die. Because <laughs> all these saints die, you know, so I have to die. And uh, But those would be harder, some of them, you know. Uh, but, yeah, they, they've been each challenging in their own way. And they're very moving. In fact, some of them, uh, it's so moving to me that I'll start crying during the performance because I see how the audience is reacting or I myself uh, will be like, a, I say I'm doing the, when I did the life of Christ, you know, I have long hair and I got a beard and the whole bit and uh, dark beard, of course, not gray. And, uh, but I would, you know, I would be listening to the words of Jesus through me as I'm saying it, or Jesus through me. And I would start to almost get teary eyed because I was actually, you know, as an actor, you have to be very technically uh, focused uh, because I have to play, you know, the saint and the sinner. I got to go back and forth. But but sometimes the Holy Spirit will allow me to have moments of, you know, like we all have. There might be a mystical moment. Uh, not that those are important that we want to hold on to them. They're just little gifts that God gives each and every one of us. You know how you, you're at a mass sometimes and you just start crying or weeping or, uh, you know, something of that nature really touches your heart or you watch a religious movie or listen to a talk, listen to one of your talks, Tom, and you start to weep, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> when's it going to end? When's it going to yeah. end? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to get philosophical here for a moment. Uh, what you're describing for me is, is I think philosophically called personal knowledge. And it's the difference between like who has the deepest insight, the most objective knowledge. We live in a time that says the one who has true knowledge is the one who is objective. Namely, they scientifically stand apart from the object and they analyze it. Right. What is missing is the counterpart of personal knowledge. And that is 
the one who has the deepest insight, the one who really knows, is the one who is immersed in the object, fully given over to the object. So it it, it sounds like when I hear you describe and kind of share the story of playing a part, it's no, I'm I'm immersed into the very being of the character that I'm displaying, portraying, manifesting in this theatrical way. And because I'm so deeply participating and immersed in the life of Christ, the life of St. John Vianney, the life of uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe, that there's a new insight, there's a new level of sharing that I know the, the I know something new about Christ, something deeper about Christ. And and for me, that is that's a beautiful corrective and a beautiful complement to what is often overlooked, undervalued, or dismissed today. The the reality of participatory, personal, immersive knowing. Absolutely. And you know, that makes me it re-echoes what uh, Pope Benedict said. You know, oftentimes we use it up the objective knowledge where you look at the church, it's an institution, it has, it helps the poor, it does this, it does that, it does the sacraments. But as Pope Benedict reminds us, the church is not an institution, it's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And when you look at anyone walking around, this is the person of Christ. This is the image of God himself, the creator and the redeemer. The Trinity is implanted in each and every one of us, so to speak. And so you're right. When really the greatest, you know, commandment, as we know, is love, right? And so the greatest knowledge, the personal knowledge, is from the heart. When you enter in, we, we call it, you know, in, in, with Christ, it's his sacred heart. It's his, the heart that loves. And that's what we say about love, uh, you know, for marriage, the commitment to love your wife or your husband uh, or your children, or your neighbor, etc., or the distressed, the poor, etc. So I think you're right. There's those moments where we have to enter into the person of Christ Himself in us, inside of us. Well, you know that mystery. You know, objective truth to say, well, how can the kingdom of God be inside me? That seems crazy because I look just like a body. I'm just wearing a shirt and got some glasses on. Nothing special. Just you know, every, a lot of people look like that. But there's something that's infinite. There's a cosmos. There's a universe. In you know, he's the as as it says, you know, he's the master of the universe. He's the creator of just a bread, piece of bread and wine, or uh, you know, some wine, or the whole cosmos. You know, everything. Make Star Wars the movie look like nothing. Look like a speck. So I think you're right. It in that that personal encounter you see with the apostles, with those who lived with Jesus. and But you see that with the saints, because the saints are through sacred tradition of the church. They're the living gospels. They carry it on. You shall do greater things than me, says Jesus. You're going to raise the dead. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to make cripples walk. You're going to make money appear and disappear. You know, you're going to do a lot of things. But the most important thing, of course, as St. Therese is, she finds is her vocation is love because that's the only thing. What are you going to take with you when you die? We're all going to die. Like you said, objective. Hey, we got a lot of things. There's things everywhere, but that doesn't last at all. It's very fleeting. 
So that's why I think the personal encounter that you're mentioning is very deep because you're trying to seek something above and not below. And because, you know, really, Tom, when we talk about this, Jesus says it so much in the, especially in the Gospel of John, about eternal life. What's this all about? He's leading us to eternal life. And most of us, I would say, everyone listening to this podcast, no one's thinking about eternal life. Hardly anyone. Even when they're getting closer to death, you know, they still want to try to say, how can I keep driving? How can I, you know, keep my all my things in my house? You know, all those things, you know, I don't want to get sick. You know, I'm, I'm limping around or whatever. Uh, but, but we hold on. But we're not surrendering to something even more incredible because this is finite here, but we're we're e eternal creatures. That's the thing that we don't comprehend in a personal way. Yeah, amen. You know, Leonardo, uh, you're talking about this, and I think that you have a like a privileged insight into it because of the gifting God's given you in theatrical performances. You're literally spending your life energy and and your talents to immerse yourself into the lives of saints and and Christ and the gospel and bring that out into the open for Catholics. You mentioned it at mass, right? Mass is participatory. Mass is about encountering Christ. It's about the encounter with Christ that he comes to us, right? And, and you say, well, ultimately what's life all about? It's about that union with Christ that is sanctity or holiness. And it's about letting Christ manifest through us as we live out our God-given mission. If we live that kind of life, we've lived a worthy, noble life. We've lived a life in accord with God's purpose for our lives. And, you know, whether it's doing full-time church work, like you and I have been privileged to do, you theatrically, me, and, and, and speaking, teaching, stuff like this, um, or whether it's the daily duties of being a wife and a mother, being a husband and a father, being salt, light, and leaven in the world in the places where God has planted us. It you know those are conceptual descriptions that are traced back to that should be able to be traced back to any life and every life. I'm called to be a saint, fulfilling the God-given mission for which He planted me right now. That's it. If I get that right, then I've lived you know well done, good and faithful servant. And and that's what I'm concerned about. Like you know, you say, what am I thinking about when I wake up in the morning? It's Lord, how am I going to honor and foster union with you today. I want to grow in holiness. And Lord, how can I be available so that you can shine through me today in the places where I'll be going with the people I'll be meeting? I want to be useful to you as salt, light, and leaven. Please, Lord, use my life, right? That simple sentiment is frankly quite profound. And it's something I think we as Catholics really ought to be pondering more and finding ways to say, what does that mean for me right now? And and so I, I just want to say thank you because the way that you've lived your life is is displaying that. It's displaying that. And it's the way I want to live my life. And it's something I think every Catholic who's listening, any follower of Christ who's listening can say, you're living it in an exemplary way in your call. I can find a way to live it in my call. So we got two minutes left. What do you want to say? Well, I just want to re-echo what you're saying. I think that's beautiful, Tom, how you explain that. And I think, you know, when we wake up in the morning, 
You know, it's almost if we could, a monk used to say, you should do three glory beads at the minute you wake up. And so I think about that. And, you know, there's two things, you know, if we could just remember that he's the creator and we're his creatures. And the next great title is he's the redeemer. So we, how can we participate, Jesus, to save souls for you? How can we be your disciple? So, and how can I be your creature? To be uh, to keep your covenant, so to speak, your covenant of love, and how can I foster those commandments that are going to keep me in line, but to keep me healthy, give me good food. So I think your your thing about the mass, I would just encourage everyone when they go to mass to really realize it's this is you're right, you're participating, but you're participating in the worship of the Creator and the Redeemer, who 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 died for you. Well, obviously, we're in Easter right now, but he died for you, the greatest symbol of victory over death, and, and, and that he rose from the dead. No one has ever done that. Only God, Jesus Christ. And so as we go through our uh, monotonous days sometimes that we think we're so self-centered and so wonderful, you know, we have to realize uh, that we're really being given the gift of life. And I think that's the most important thing. So I think I really appreciate this talk and I appreciate those who are, I really ask for your prayers for our ministry that it can continue even beyond me to have those personal encounters uh, so that we can truly uh, love God and support our ministry too. And I, particularly for the Seattle Archdiocese, if you can web uh, com and even donate money uh, and that money and save for Seattle, we can start bringing these shows. Our, my goal would be to bring it to every little town, every little place uh, in all of Seattle so that every soul would be able to hear the Gospels and have that intimate, personal relationship that both Tom and I are trying to uh, you know, share with you because that's our concern, that we want uh, the Seattle Archdiocese. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it was became a light to our country? Not a, a darkness to our country, but a light where it can burn on fire like the burning bush. And Amen. so that we can take off our shoes and our sandals and say, Seattle Archdiocese is a holy place, not an unholy place. Yes. How about a city set on a hill, right? Like let the, hey, let the light of Christ you're... shine. Let's go. So... Uh, that's again, Leonardo D. Philippus, stlukeproductions.com. You see it on your screen if you're watching the video uh, portion of this. Uh, Leonardo, thank you so much for giving so much of your time to me today. And again, go to stlukeproductions.com. You can learn about all of these different shows, the ones that are operating right now, the Father Tolton one, as well as other resources that are available on the website. Uh, Leonardo, thank you so much for taking time with me today. You betcha. And God bless each and every one of you.